Let's give our attentive hearing to the living word of God. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began, began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, about a hundred years ago, I would say, it would have been largely accepted uh, if you made a claim like this, that the Gospels didn't exist until the mid-second century or something like that, and that's why the Gospels are not historically reliable. But what's happened in the past century or so since then is there's been a lot of new evidence surfacing showing that the gospel were actually written much earlier than that, much earlier than what they used to think, as early as the lifetime of many of the eyewitnesses during Jesus' time. Uh, probably the best summary of these evidences is probably in a book written by Richard Bauckham. He's a senior scholar at Cambridge titled Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. And in that book, he collects very extensive evidences for uh, how Jesus' death and resurrection, soon after that, there were people who were going around testifying to how they had been healed by Jesus in various ways. So the people who were alive during Jesus' day, who were healed miraculously, were testifying to Jesus' healing and their wellness around um, the, that ancient Near East uh, Palestinian area. And that certainly had been the, the intention of the gospel authors, to give people specific names of specific places and people so that uh, people can actually fact check. You can actually go to a town, look for a certain someone, and see if this certain account is true. And I'm opening with this because our passage today has such a name. Uh, this man who dwelt at the city gate of Jericho named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And guess what? If you were to go to the city of Jericho, and look around for Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, everyone would know, right? He lives over there, down the corner, on the street, go look for him and talk to him. And everyone would also know, for the longest time, he was sitting outside the city gate, blind, and begging, but no more. So, the opening point I'm making is this. We have to read this account as a historical account, and when we consider what he is saying here, we are, in a way, forced to consider as seriously uh, Jesus, the son of David. If, if, if we're going to take this seriously, the account of Bartimaeus seriously, we have to take Jesus, the son of David, seriously, because his, his testimony is concerning him. It validates one another. And it kind of puts us in this position to, to come to some verdict about the person of Jesus. You have to come to some verdict about him. Because here's a real historical account that warrants a real historical decision on your part and my part. Either we share in this faith of Bartimaeus or we don't. Okay? Either Bartimaeus is a liar or he's not. Either this happened or it did not. And what we can't be is indifferent. We can't be 
I don't care. Right? That's the most irrational thing to do. Uh, the most rational thing to, to do at this point to approach this passage is investigate this, consider this for yourself. Okay, do I believe this? And, and, and if so, is my faith in the same object of Bartimaeus' faith? Do I consider Jesus to be the son of David? And to sort of unpack that, I have two things for you to consider today. Um, let's consider rationally about Bartimaeus and his faith. Number one, who he cries out to by faith. That's the first thing. And number two, what he cries out for by faith. Who he cries out to by faith, what he cries out for by faith. Okay, so first, who he cries out to by faith. Uh, take a look at verses 46 and 47. Uh, 46 gives us who this man was, and 47 gives us who he's crying out to. It says, Bartimaeus was a blind beggar. That's the description. A blind beggar, and where he is? He is sitting by the roadside. Okay? And that's a visual of someone with this kind of disability during this time. As a blind man, um, he is... He is dependent on everyone in every way. He, he can't find his own way, right? So uh, he can only sit. He can't provide for himself, so he begs. Okay? Uh, he, was, he was entirely dependent on everyone. He can't get anything or buy anything, do anything apart from people's charity, people's help. And this is the, so this is the, the last person, if you live in Jericho, this is the last person you kind of want to run into on your way out of the city or into the city. This is a total inconvenience uh, and, and, and expense to everyone. He's the last person you want to pay any attention to or run into. Now, there's that description of him. And then take a look at what happens in verse 47. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now notice how immediately he begins to cry out. As soon as he hears, this is Jesus of Nazareth walking by, he, he just cries out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? He doesn't ask anyone to, for example, help him up. Right? He doesn't ask people to help him you know, kind of be brought to Jesus. Help me get up, take me to Jesus. He just starts crying out. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And that can only mean that Bartimaeus had this very deep and unwavering conviction that if I call out to him this way, Jesus, son of David, if I call out to him this way, he will respond. Right? He, he had to have that conviction. That's the only thing he does. Cries out his name. And he cries out, son of David. And that is a reference um, to the offspring of David who will come as prophesied in the Old Testament to be enthroned as king forever, ruling over God's kingdom forever. Okay? Now Mark is a minimal writer. He doesn't tell us exactly how did, how did he know Jesus is that, that son of David prophesied about in the Old Testament. He doesn't tell us very clearly. But it's reasonable to assume he would have heard about Jesus and his ministry so far. And there's even in Mark chapter 8, if you recall, another blind man who was healed at Bethsaida, if you recall that. So it's possible that all these accounts were conveyed to Bartimaeus or that he was just sensitive to hearing what people were saying as they left the city, as they entered the city. And if you're blind, you're twice as sensitive in your hearing that you were able to hear these things. And so putting two, two and two together, he concluded this man was 
is the man who was prophesied about in the Old Testament, the offspring of David, the King of Kings, the Anointed One, the Messiah, who's going to come and heal every sickness, who's going to come and fix every injustice, restore every brokenness, and, and comfort the, the brokenhearted. Here, just to give you a sense of what the, the kinds of prophecies that were kind of circulating during this time, um, something that Bartimaeus could have heard is this passage from Isaiah, Isaiah 42, where God says, I will lead the blind by ways that they have not known. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn the darkness into light before them and make the rough places smooth. These are the things I will do. I will not forsake them. And as we heard in the uh, call to worship today, in Isaiah 35, it says, Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. So, if I'm a beggar who's blind, sitting on the roadside, I think hearing these prophecies, I, I would have very reasonably concluded this Messiah, whoever he's coming to save, I fit that bill. Okay, I'm a part of that group. Whoever he's coming to save, I'm a part of that group, given these prophecies about the Messiah who's going to open the eyes of the blind. Jesus sounds like my kind of Savior. Right? So if this is who he is, then I'm going to call him out. I'm going to call for his attention. Now, as he, as he cries out, Jesus, son of David, what do the disciples and the crowd do instead? Right? They rebuke him. Be quiet. Right? Be quiet. Silence. Uh, it's like they did not learn that lesson from uh, keeping the children away from Jesus. Right? And, and, and instead, rebuking the children, and they got rebuked instead, Right? How's that lesson going? Not very well. They're, they're rebuking the blind beggar, keeping him from coming to Jesus this time. And this makes you kind of think, you know, have you done this? Uh, rebuking someone that Jesus might be calling. Okay. Pay, paying no attention to someone that Jesus would be paying attention to. Right? Think about this. Right? Look, kind of think about your life. Look around your life and your relationships, and, and consider whether your eyes are really open to the needy, the, the people who are clearly in need around you, who really need this message of Isaiah, this prophecy of Isaiah, um, who are brokenhearted, who are anxious in their hearts, who need to be lifted, uh, or are you turning a blind eye, or are you silencing them? Or is your faith in Jesus strong enough to offer Jesus to them? to offer Jesus to those who are in need. Um, the faith that Bartimaeus had in the word of God, testifying to who Jesus is, it, he, it was able to empower him to overcome the rebuke and the mockery of the crowd. He cried out all the more, it says. He didn't care what people think. He didn't take people's word for it and say, you know, okay, Jesus doesn't care for me. He has no interest in me. He didn't base his faith or his knowledge of who Jesus is based upon people's opinion. It was rooted in the scriptures. Right? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people are like, shut up, be quiet. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He cries even more. Okay. Because his faith is not in people. 
what they say about Jesus, but in the scriptures and what the scriptures testify concerning Jesus. If I cry out to this Messiah, he will respond to me. He will. And here's what it says in verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Jesus stopped. He stopped to take notice. He stopped because he mattered. And, and, And then the people say, oh, take heart. Take heart, get up, he's calling you. And, and they, they encourage him now. And just try to imagine how awkward that would have been for the, for the disciples who are, who are, who are in mo- one moment saying, Jesus doesn't want to see you, he doesn't care for you, he has no interest in you. And Jesus like, call him. Oh, Jesus will see you now. Come on over, <laughs> right? How awkward that would have been. But I think Mark included this piece of detail here about take heart, that encouragement to tell us something about the nature and the tone of Bartimaeus' cry. It must have been so desperate and so helpless a cry that the first thing that people would say to him is, cheer up, it's okay. It's all going to be okay. Jesus is calling you. We were wrong. Jesus is calling you. And we see here how Bartimaeus' faith pays off. It pays off. It perseveres and it pays off. And this is perhaps the first thing we can learn about Bartimaeus' faith. If, you're, if the object of your faith is this Jesus, son of David, who's come to lift up, lift up and encourage the anxious hearts, then you can call on him and call on him and call on him and call on him until it pays off. You have every reason to persevere in your faith. Uh, my kids have nightmares at times, and, um, and this is what they would do. They would cry out, Appa! Mommy! Okay, one of us. Okay, and I'm just, when they cry out, Mommy, I'm kind of thankful, secretly. <laughs> it's her turn. Because uh, it's in the middle of the night. It's like 3 a.m. in the morning. And they'll cry at the top of their lungs. And they'll cry, and they'll cry, and they'll cry. Until it pays off. Until we walk over there. What's wrong? You know, I had a bad dream. Okay. And they have, no, they have no care. They don't care if the neighbors here. The neighbors, they don't care at all. They cry until one of us are there. Because their conviction is, if, if my parents hear me, they'll come. And they won't rebuke me. And they'll comfort me and everything's going to be okay. And, that's, and it's true. The crazy thing is it's true. It, it works every single time. Right? They, they call us, they summon us, we go over there, and they're crying, we hold them, and they stop crying, and they fall soundly back to sleep. Right? It doesn't matter if it's thundering, it doesn't matter how scary the dream was, as long as we're there, we're present, we've responded to the call, they're okay. Faith in Christ is similar to that. It, it, you don't care what people think. You don't care if you get rebuked, and you cry out, you reach for the object of your faith until you get it, until, you, until there's a payoff. That's faith. That's faith. You can't be silenced by people's rebuke. It, it holds fast to what you're, what you're calling out for until you get it. Until your heart is encouraged, until it does pay off. That was Bartimaeus' faith. Faith that looks to Jesus according to the scriptures for how long? Until it pays off. Until it pays off. And, and equally important is, is the second part, and that is what he cried out for. 
He cries out to Jesus, but what did he cry out for? He was crying out to the son of David for mercy. Mercy. See, Bartimaeus isn't here saying, son of David, give me what I deserve. Right? He's not saying, son of David, give me what I'm entitled to. A good life with vision. Give me my wages. That's not, that's not what he's saying. His, his cry is, son of David, have mercy on me. Have pity on me, in other words. And that's another way of saying, son of David, give me, give me what I don't deserve. Give me what I can never earn. Give me what I can never work enough for. Give me something, in other words, based entirely on your goodness and your character, not mine. Because you are good and you're a merciful God. So have mercy on me. If you notice, um, he's been begging people for money. But he doesn't beg Jesus for any money. Have you thought about that? Like he, why beg for mercy now and only to Jesus? Why not beg the people for mercy? People, have mercy on me. Why Jesus, why now? I think he knew deep down and perhaps through experience that money is something you can get from people. Material help, you can get from people. It just comes out of their wallets. But mercy, mercy is something that comes from God. Mercy comes from God. It's divine to give mercy. It's a heavenly gift. Oh, and then, you know, some people would say, oh, but people, people are merciful. People give mercy. People can be merciful. Yes, that's true. And I, and I think that just means we're created in the image of God and we can resemble that character of who God is. But here's the thing. We also run out of mercy, don't we? We run out of mercy real fast, especially if it's, if it's demanded by our enemies. And when I think about that, I think what we mean by mercy and what we really find beautiful about mercy is mercy that doesn't run out so quickly. And that's not human. Okay? Mercy that doesn't run out, right? Mercy that is endless and steadfast, that's just not human. And I think that's what Bartimaeus was crying out for, that kind of mercy. Because, you know, I don't know if you've said this before or thought this before. I've at least thought this to myself. I've been merciful enough with this person. Have you ever thought that? Am I the only one? I've, I've been patient enough. I've been forgiving enough. I've been gracious enough with this person. But now this person is making me run out of patience and grace and mercy. And kindness. Right? Have you ever thought that or said that? I'm running out of and fill in the blank. Okay? And here's what I realized. If I can run out of something, that's not a part of my nature. Because what does that mean to run out of your nature? How do you run out of your nature? You can't run out of your own nature. If, if you can run out of mercy, that means being merciful is not a part of your nature. It's, it's, not, it's, it's nurture. It's not nature, it's nurtured. It's something that we have perhaps acquired from God and resemble now and then, but our nature is not merciful. What is our nature? Our nature is exact, 
Our nature is fair, it's calculative, it's, it's on a scale, it keeps score, it's just. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. You punch me in the eye, I punch you in the eye. You hurt me emotionally, I hurt you emotionally. Right? That's, that's my nature. We like to be exact. Rather than being merciful, we, we like to be calculative. And so I think, or I think even Shakespeare was right, the quality of mercy is not strained. It droppeth as a gentle rain from heaven upon the place beneath. It is enthroned in the hearts of kings. It is an attribute of God himself. Right? It is an attribute of God himself. And that's based on the Christian conception of God. Right? In no other religion is mercy a part of God's attribute. Only in the Bible is mercy identified as a divine attribute. Isaiah 30, 18, for example, says, Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you. He exalts himself to show mercy to you. Or as it says in Lamentations 3, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. That's our God. That is the Christian God. That is the God we worship. But that is not our nature. That is not us. That's not the people around us. That is not our culture. I would say we actually live in a rather merciless culture. Right? Um, we're at a point, I think, even where being merciless has become a virtuous thing. It's, it's something you can do... You, you being merciless can be a, a, a thing that you, you boast of and be proud of. And here's, here's a little excerpt from David Brooks who writes for the New York Times and he describes our current sort of cultural climate pertaining to this, this way. Quote, when somebody violates a public trust, we try to purge and ostracize him. A sort of Colosseum culture takes over, leaving no place for mercy. By now the script is familiar. Some famous person does something wrong, the internet, the most impersonal of mediums, erupts with contempt and mockery. The offender issues a paltry half-apology, which only inflames the public even more. The pounding cry for resignation builds until capitulation comes. Public passion is spent, and the spotlight moves on. This is us. This is where we live. And this is, I would say, what we're used to. But Bartimaeus is resisting this culture. Have mercy on me, is his cry. Right? You have to realize how countercultural that is, not only for his time, but for ours. And if your faith is going to be placed in this Jesus Messiah, the son of David, your cry has to be not for justice, not for fairness, not for exact payment, but for mercy against the cultural current of your time, you have to cry out for mercy. And Bartimaeus is wise enough to not beg people, people for mercy, but beg Jesus for it. He's begging Jesus, the son of David, for mercy. He's begging him for the one thing no one on earth can give him a lifetime supply of. Something no money can buy. He's begging for something divine. He's, he's begging for that gentle rain from heaven. It's, it's bad enough to get, get exact justice from people 
and much worse if you were to get exact justice from God. So he's asking God mercy. And the name he calls out to claim this mercy, Jesus, son of David. Jesus is the assurance that God can give to him this divine, supernatural, miraculous mercy that never runs out and is new every morning. Jesus is the way. And Jesus responds. He stops and responds to his cry and he validates Bartimaeus' faith. And to, to prove the, the genuineness of his faith, he makes this very rare offer. He's only made a couple of times. In verse 51, what do you want me to do for you? Wow. Right? Imagine getting a question like that from God. What do you want me to do for you? And it's not even, you have one wish. It's, it's anything, right? You can ask for three wishes. Like You can ask for anything. What do you want me to do for you? What would you ask? God suddenly appears and says, what do you want me to do for you? And, and, and imagine this, and this is, the, this is ironic and hilarious at the same time. Imagine in this moment the thoughts that are running through disciples' heads right now, right? Because they had just come from having this discussion with Jesus earlier, right? Asking Jesus what? Jesus, wait, James and John, remember? They come to Jesus and say, Jesus, there's something we want you to do for us. Whatever we ask of you, we want you to do for us. And their request was, to be Jesus' second in command, to, to, to be the greatest in the kingdom of God, to be the first among their peers, to be number one, the greatest, the smartest, the holiest. And Jesus corrects them for that. But here's Bartimaeus being offered just anything, everything, right? What does Bartimaeus ask for? Here's the one thing that he asks of Jesus. He asks, Rabbi, meaning my teacher, let me recover my sight. Jesus, let these eyes be opened, in other words. Open the eyes of this blind man. Okay. His request is for Jesus to fulfill the same prophecy that he believed in and that which led him to Jesus in the first place. Simply put, Bartimaeus is saying, Lord, let, let this prophecy come true. Let, let this crowd see you are indeed the one prophesied in Isaiah, the one who's going to come. Open the eyes of the blind. Fulfill this prophecy. In other words, I think he's going as far as to say, Lord, be glorified. Glorify yourself. Fulfill this prophecy. Reveal who you are. That you're not, you're not just some vending machine here to just pop out all of our wishes, right? Make our wishes come true. You're here to fulfill God's prophecy. Open the eyes of the blind. And once he regains his sight, what does he do? He doesn't just run off, go on his own way. Even though Jesus says, go your way, he follows Jesus on his way. He didn't, he didn't simply want his eyes open so he can go his own way and live his own life. He, he wanted to see Jesus and follow him. Do you see this? Do you see this? that you don't trust in Jesus to get something from him and go your own way, but you trust in him so you can see him more clearly and follow him. That's faith. That's what faith wants. And that's how faith is proven. You know, faith is not proven by what we claim to believe. It's proven by where we're going, 
Who are we following? Like actually in life. Who are we actually following in life? Who are we actually obeying in life? What are we crying out for in life? That's, that's the evidence of our faith. What is your mission in life? If God appears to you and says, I'm going to make your dream come true, what will be your dream? Is it Jesus and his mission and his kingdom coming true? All his prophecies coming true? Is that your mission in life? Is that your dream? And, and, and everything in your life, your career, your marriage, your parenting, just means to that end. To making God's kingdom come on earth, making it more visible here on earth. Are you living this changed life? And do you know that by God's mercy you can? It doesn't matter how long you've been sitting by the, the roadside, how long you've been blind. We don't know how long Bartimaeus was here by the roadside. Could have been a year. Could have been five years. Could have been ten. Could have been twenty years. We don't know. But what we know is when the opportunity came to him, he took it. When Jesus was passing by, he didn't let him just pass by. He cried out. And, and the, the most important and the, the final application of that for you, for us today is to not let him pass us by. Right? When we hear the word of God, when we see the needs of the kingdom, things we can do through the church to serve the kingdom, to not let those opportunities pass us by. And if you, if you do not know him, if you have not received him, to cry out for his mercy. If you have received him, cry out for his mercy. Even when others rebuke you, cry out for his mercy. Even when your own conscience rebukes you, you don't deserve him. You're, no good, you're, you're not good enough for God. You cry out for mercy. Even when your own, your own cynicism about yourself rebuke you, you don't give up. You cry out. You cry out to the son of David until when? It pays off. Until he hears you, until he stops, he hears you, and he calls you and saves you. Let's try to apply this to our faith. Our faith is not so much about, you know, how, how well we can articulate what we believe. It's, it's simple. It's who is, who is our faith in and what do we turn to him for? And primarily that has to be our faith in Christ, turning to him for mercy. Our faith in Christ turning to him for mercy. And when we do that, he promises to turn to us. And what we will realize actually is it's not so much that we've done such a great job calling him. He's been calling us all along. He's been calling us all along. And we're simply responding to his sovereign call that he's been calling us to all of our lives. If you haven't responded to him today, respond to him if you... If you feel you need to re regain this faith today, cry out to him. Wherever you are, cry out to him. Persevere in your faith. Keep crying out until he comes into your room, holds you, comforts you, and encourages you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your last miracle on your way, on your son's way to the cross, showing us once again these marks of true faith. Lord, 
simplify our faith. And that it be simply placed in the person of Jesus Christ, the son of David, who's come into real time and space to, to fulfill all the prophecies concerning him. And let it be a simple crime to receive mercy from him, mercy like the one that we can never receive from anyone else, the mercy that never runs out. That's what we want, Lord. Your grace that is new every morning. Your faithfulness that's new every morning. How great is this faithfulness? Let us rest in this. Let us rejoice in this. And let us worship you for it. And may we follow you as a result of that. Evidence our faith. By the direction we're going. By our life of obedience. And by our commitment to you. We pray all these things. In Jesus' name.